Last week, Todd Lafferty was here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. He told us about an ominous message. It arrived as he was preparing to host a gathering of gospel workers in Pakistan. We got an answer on our answer machine, a message that said, We know you are there, and we're going to kill you. Wow. It was an evil-sounding message that made the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And what got me was this group is meeting at my house. And how do they have my phone number? As a young missionary, Todd needed to decide how he was going to handle threats like these. And I just had to come to the point and say, you know, if I die here, it's because I'm here. I'm here serving Christ. And uh, I want to be buried in that dirt graveyard where that blood will call out for someone else to come take my place. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. I'm Todd Nettleton. Last week here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio, Todd Lafferty told us about being a young missionary with a family serving in Pakistan. As we just heard a few minutes ago, Todd and his family had to learn to trust God even when their lives were threatened. Todd is back with us this week for part two of our conversation. He now serves as Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for the International Mission Board. I asked him about receiving that threatening phone call all those years ago, and and I asked him how his experiences when he was serving on the front lines affect the way he leads other missionaries in dangerous places today. Just met last week with our brand new batch of new missionaries going to the field, and had an opportunity to share some of these stories. And again, I'm going to go back to, I tell them always to abide in him Mm -hmm. because they've got to put down their roots in him no matter where they are. And then put down their roots in the city. You know, Jeremiah tells us to pray for the peace of the city, for the prosperity of the city, and to plant crops, to marry off your children in the place where you were. Our kids weren't old enough to get married off, but... (laughs) You know, I went down to a local nursery and I bought some plants and I got down in the dirt and I planted those plants in the dirt of that city because I wanted to be a part of the soil of that city. And and I encourage our new people, become a part of your community, of your city, uh, and, and make an impact because you're there, you're meeting people, you're connecting with people, you're building a network, and it takes time. Don't think this is going to happen overnight. You know, sometimes we... We think when there's harvest coming that, yeah, we're just going to go and we're going to hit the harvest side of the graph. But most of us start over here on the left side of the graph where there's nothing happening, especially if we're going to hard places where we're just starting new work. And we want to see this happening, the harvest taking place. But sometimes it's moving boulders for a while. Somebody's got to plant and somebody's got to water a long time before harvest. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So you served for two terms in Pakistan, and then you've served in some other Muslim nations as well. Talk a little bit about some of the other places where you've served and what you've seen God do in those places. Okay. 
We served in uh, Southeast Asia in a large Muslim country there. And we began praying that the, the Lord would give us the kind of movements that we were seeing in East Asia at the time. Some pretty amazing things happening across East Asia. And so we started our own strategy coordinator training. And one of the guys who came was a seminary professor in the local seminary there on the island. And uh, he was transitioning to begin to serve as a strategy coordinator to try to reach 7 million people of this people group. There weren't uh, hardly any churches or anything happening among them. So he found a national partner that joined with him. And they began praying. First of all, they got everyone they knew praying for them. And he prayed what he called down and dirty praying. He said, Lord, it's not right that they haven't had an opportunity to hear the gospel. It's not right that after 2,000 years, still they're living in darkness. Lord, bring the good news of Christ to these people. And then they committed as a pair that they would share with every, we call them the Binu people. They would share with every Binu person that they met, no matter where it was. So they're about four months in and not a lot happening. And his partner meets a Binu person in a government office paying a bill. He says, okay, I've got to share the gospel in this Every government office. Every single one. <laughs> so he starts sharing the gospel with them, and Tom was interested. And so he calls, uh, calls my friend and, and says, hey, uh, Tom is really interested. Can you come down here and share with him? So he goes down, and they sit in the open square of the city for about two hours. And uh, he just stories through from uh, Genesis to Jesus and sharing prophet stories with this man. And after a couple hours, he believes. Well, this man is a Wayung storyteller, the shadow puppet storyteller in the villages in that area. And he also worked for a political organization that he was responsible to get their message out to 26 villages. And he said, I know 50 people that need to hear this immediately. So he began sharing the gospel. Within six months, 150 people had come to faith in Christ. After four months of nothing. Nothing. So it just took off. And it got the attention of the local government because one morning they woke up in the newspaper and it had all of their tracks, pictures on the front page of the local newspaper and said, someone is trying to reach our people. Someone's trying to Christianize our people is the way they put it. And so they found out who the national partner was. The police and the military cooperated with one another, which is highly unusual in those parts. And they began interrogating him pretty heavily. And they got my friend's name. So I was in Singapore at the time in a meeting, and he calls me and said, look, uh, Todd, they've got Zeke, and they're coming for me. Can I take my family and go to Jakarta for a few weeks and <laughs> see if this thing will cool down? And I said, well, Mike, if that's what you need to do, then you need to do it. So he calls me back a couple hours later, and he said, you know, Todd, if uh, Zeke's going to be persecuted, and stand firm, I am too. We're not going anywhere. So the police eventually found him at the seminary. They met with the seminary president. The president told him, this man is here on a religion visa. He's teaching at our seminary. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And so, really, you don't have any case against him. And so they let him go. Wow. They also won seven policemen to Christ, and persecution just... <laughs> almost evaporated overnight. Wow. And so 
the gospel just continued to spread. Now there actually are several thousand believers among that people group, and hundreds of churches have been planted. Uh, training leaders. It's so exciting to see what God did. But in the in the beginning of this, there's another story. We partnered with the Women's Missionary Union of Georgia to pray for our work in Southeast Asia, the Muslim work of Southeast Asia. And they began praying with several hundred women twice a day, seven and seven, month in and month out. By the end, there were 20,000 praying every day, twice a day, week in and week out. And so our uh, lady doing the prayer request would send 30 days of requests the month ahead, and they would send them out every day, and people would be praying. That was the power behind what was happening. Yes, our guys were bold. Yes, they were praying, but they had a prayer force behind them that was powerful. They were praying specific prayers, names of people, places, churches being planted, and the Lord began to move. Uh, but they, they had to stand firm in the face of that initial persecution and push through it. If they had backed down then, you know, the enemy wants us to be quiet. He just wants us to shut our mouths. But if you push through that and you get to the other side of it, then you begin to see that harvest begin to take place. And that's what happened. They began to see that harvest because they, they pushed through that initial uh, hit of persecution in that place. Todd, when you talk to American Christians uh, about reaching Muslims, because most of our listeners don't live in Pakistan, they don't live in Southeast Asia, but they go to school with a Muslim classmate or they have a coworker who is a Muslim, I think a lot of us would like to be the bridge. We would like to but we kind of feel a little bit intimidated, like, hey, I don't, I don't know enough about Islam. I can't answer all their questions. Uh, I, if it gets down to a debate, I'm going to lose because I just don't know enough. How do you coach American Christians to have that, that boldness to say, no, no, I am going to start the conversation? Great question. I think, first of all, you have to know your story and how to tell it in a way that points to Jesus as the one who changes people's lives. Uh, not just going to church, not being a good person, but really coming down to dealing with sin because we all have a sin problem, and deep down, Muslims know they have a sin problem. They may not admit it, uh, but there is a sin problem that they're aware of. And how do they deal with that sin? And the assurance of salvation is one of the things that draws Muslims to Christ. Dudley Woodbury did a study several years ago that showed one of the number one reasons that Muslims were interested in Christianity were the, the changed lives that they saw in Muslims and in Christians, but also the fact that there was assurance of salvation. You know, on Pakistan TV every night at 10 o'clock, they had a prayer for Muhammad because they didn't know where he was. This is on Pakistan television. So uh, I think knowing your story, how to tell your story, prayer, pray for Muslims to be interested, to be hungry, to want to know more, to be drawn to Christ. Jesus is in their book. They don't have the full story or the true story of him, but there's a bridge there. You say, you know, your book talks about Jesus. Can I tell you more about him uh, in the Injil, in the New Testament? and what the New Testament says about some of those things that you've heard about Jesus. So being able to tell, tell Bible stories, tell those prophet stories where there's a, 
There's a blood sacrifice all the way through where you come to Christ and he is the final sacrifice. They don't know why Jesus had to die. He was such a good man, but he had to die right. to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin because he was the perfect and final sacrifice for sin. And so helping them understand why Jesus had to die is another way to to approach Muslims. But, you know, being able to tell your story in a clear and concise way and just be a friend. Be a friend who's interested, who wants to get to know them, and be a learner. Learn about Islam. Learn all you can because then you'll begin to see bridges in how to share your faith with them as you connect with them through, through learning yourself. You know, if you're not willing to learn anything about them, why should they be willing to learn anything about you? So it's, it's a mutual thing, but you know you have the truth, and you know it transforms lives. And so there's that opportunity to, to keep pushing it forward that way. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Todd Lafferty. He's the Executive Vice President and Chief Operations Officer of the International Mission Board. Todd, I suspect uh, in your office today you're you're not getting phone calls that say hey we're going to kill you what are the biggest challenges in your role now you're you're not in pakistan you're not in an islamic context but you're leading workers all over the world what's your biggest challenge uh we we do have a huge challenge in uh, one particular part of the world right now that's been uh, heavily persecuted many organizations have experienced this persecution and uh, withdrawal of troops, you might say. And so we're trying to figure out what's next for a lot of people uh, because they've lost their positions in those places where they've served. And so that's actually a challenge that's happening this week with, with our organization. So that's part of it. We have some targets we'd like to reach in the next five years. Uh, we'd like to send 500 more missionaries. When Dr. Chitwood and I came a couple years ago now, almost two years ago, there were 82 people in our long-term pipeline. And we used to have 1,500 in that pipeline. So we're trying to rebuild that pipeline. Mm -hmm. We recently went over 1,000 of interested people that are making inquiries about serving with us. And so our our goal over the next five years is to send 500 more. We're also wanting to connect and, and partner with 500 global missionary partners who would come and join our teams from different countries. We've been a part of starting 145 Baptist denominations around the world. And so those denominations have grown up. Many are sending their own missionaries, but they'd like to partner more closely with us in different parts of the world where we're trying to reach unengaged, unreached people groups. And so they can go on a website. They can look at jobs. They can choose jobs. They can join our teams. And so we're trying to build those relationships much, much closer than we've had in the past. So... That's, that's one of our challenges we're trying to work through at this time is how do we begin to partner with these countries around the world that want to work with us. We were out in the Philippines last year and uh, signed an agreement with what they're calling the One Sending Body. There's six Southern Baptist denominations in the Philippines. I think each island had their own <laughs> Southern Baptist denomination, which is the only place in the world we have Southern Baptist denominations outside of the U.S., uh-huh. But uh, they all came together, and very exciting that they want to partner closely with us to send their missionaries to serve with our personnel. And hopefully, you know, we train them up, and then they launch their own teams and bring folks from from the Philippines, other people maybe from our teams, 
and we build new teams that way. So we're truly becoming more of a multinational uh, organization around the world. And that's really key as you talk about reaching unreached and reaching hard places. Uh, there are some places you can't go with an American passport uh, that you can go with a Filipino passport or with a passport yes. from Thailand or wherever. That's right. Um, so that's a key part of, of seeing the Great Commission fulfilled is bringing the whole body of Christ together to accomplish that. Todd, what would you say, and you talked about sending 500 new gospel workers, some of the people who listen to Voice of the Martyrs Radio are somewhere along that process. Either mm-hmm. they're starting to feel God's call, mm-hmm. or they know they're called, and now they're trying to prepare. Give them some advice uh, as they go through that process and as they seek out, okay, God, is this really, are, are you really sending me? And if you're sending me, where are you sending me? Kind of talk to those people who are in the early stages of that. That's a great question. I would begin in prayer, obviously. Begin praying, Lord, where in the world do you want us to go? Put the map out before you and just start praying and, and, and look at people groups. Are you interested in working with Muslims or with Buddhists or with Hindus, a Sikhs, whatever that might be? And then begin to focus in on that part of the world where there are those types of people. Do you like hot climates, cold climates? Those kind of things you, you need to take into account as you think through where you're going to go. Just very practical kinds of things. Do you want to work with really just starting a new work from nothing? Or do you want to join a work that's in process and use your gifts to help strengthen churches down the road? And so there's a number of different ways. What is your gifting? What is the type of people you want to go to? What is the type of place you want to go to? And once you kind of narrow those things in, go first. Go check it out yourself. Join a team for a couple weeks or if you can longer and just see what it's really like over there. Uh, We've just done a recent study with Barna that says that if you get someone going out with you to serve with you, they're four times more likely to come back as a missionary than someone who's never gone. That uh, study just came out, the future of missions, getting people praying for you, more likely uh, to go with you, uh, more likely to give to your organization. So, and along those same lines is, you know, finding an organization that fits who you are as well, whether it's a denominational organization or whether it's a, a crew or a pioneers or something like that, finding that, that fit for the type of work that you want to do. So many organizations have their own specific niche in the missionary world, community development work, uh, disaster relief work, uh, with some of the things that we also do along the way as we seek to reach people. So what I hear you saying is even if I feel this sense of call, I still have some work to do as far as pursuing it and exploring it and and, and not just sort of waiting, sitting back waiting, okay, (laughs) when when the plane tickets show up in my hand, that's where I'm going to know where I'm going to go. But really there's some work of, of exploring what God may have. Absolutely. There has to be an intentionality about it. Uh, There also may be a need for education. Uh, Maybe you need to, you know, get a Bible degree or a seminary degree in missiology or at least, you know, get a start toward one. Uh, We have some hybrid programs where you can actually start your seminary on the field as you're serving. Uh, Or you can do 20 hours to get started in a seminary and then go. Uh, So there's any number of different ways that you can go. You can go as a two-year journeyman without any seminary degree or background to kind of see 
am I going to get that out of my system or not? <laughs> That's what I tried to do. It didn't work. Uh, we will warn you. No. It will be hard to get it out of your system, especially uh, if that's what God has in store for you. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Todd Lafferty. He is the EVP and COO of the International Mission Board. Todd, I told you we would come back to prayer at the end, and so I want to end there. How do we pray for the IMB? How do we pray for your workers around the world? Uh, we talked earlier about sort of that first-term missionary who's trying to get their feet on the ground. Let's let's go broader now, uh, and I love you know I love the story of the ladies in Georgia who launched a work in Southeast Asia from Georgia mm. simply by praying consistently. How do we pray? This is a unique time in history, also, Todd. So uh, many of our personnel are hunkering down around the world. You know, our folks in India now uh, they're seeing a hundred thousand cases a day across that country. Oh my! And so some of them. Ha- were locked up literally for months in their places with little kids. That's that's hard. So just pray for pray for those families across the world that are struggling with, you know, having little kids, being kind of locked down and just living, you know, through a screen to the outside world. That gets old. That's hard. Many of our personnel have had to leave their countries because of the lack of medical care in that place, or maybe their visa ran out. They weren't able to do a, a visa run to another country locally because they're not letting them in. So they've had to come here. They're on temporary assignment. So pray for those that have been, their families have been uprooted this year. That wasn't their plan when they started 2020. And it's just totally thrown them for a loop this year. So I guess pray for, for that, but then pray that the Lord would continue to send out laborers into his harvest field. He asked us to, to ask him to, to send out those laborers. And so I would just say, uh, keep praying that the Lord would send out laborers into his harvest field. This work isn't done. We have over 7,000 unreached people groups, which means they're less than 2% believe, uh, Christian. And there's over 3,000 unengaged unreached people groups. Those groups, we don't have any idea if there's any work happening among them. So there's a lot of work that still has to be done in our world today. And so praying that God would raise up laborers specifically for those people groups, and then pray the Lord would would provide for them through their churches, through their families and friends and networks, that they would be able to raise that support to go and to serve where he calls them to go. Uh, So praying those spiritual battle prayers for those new personnel to put on that spiritual armor every day and have that focus and that they would themselves pray that those missionaries would stay in the word on a daily basis. That's what sustains us day in and day out. And just having those daily rhythms and then those weekly rhythms of having that Sabbath every week, which restores us. It gives us a rhythm in life. And uh, through the weeks, we don't work doesn't become a blur. Missionaries can burn out if they just work 24-7. They need to establish a rhythm to maintain themselves, to sustain themselves over time. So those are some of the things I would say to, to pray for as people think about how, how can you pray for missionaries. If you don't know one, you can find one. 
find a missionary to pray for specifically. I know IMB has a website. You can find a missionary there. I suspect your church or your denomination probably has a website that lists some of the missionaries, uh, although sometimes the ones serving in closed countries can't be listed on a mm. website like that. Uh, but I would join with Todd and say, hey, find a missionary that you're praying for. And again, send them a note, send them an email, put it on their Facebook page. Hey, I prayed for you this morning because it is crucial that we stand behind those who are doing this frontline gospel work. Todd Lafferty, thank you for sharing with us this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you for your work uh, equipping and sending people to reach those who haven't yet heard. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Todd. It's been a delight to be with you today. You've been listening to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. As always, if you are just tuning in, you can hear this entire conversation at vomradio.net. You can also find VOM Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. I would encourage you to listen. I would encourage you to share it with a Christian friend who will also be blessed and can also join you to pray for mission workers around the world. And join us again next week as we continue to hear what God is doing in hostile and restricted nations around the world right here on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network.